0: Welcome to the Advance Women in Manufacturing podcast, where we talk to amazing female leaders in Canada's manufacturing sectors. Advance Women in Manufacturing is a presentation of Annex
1: Business Media. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Nitya Caleb, the editor of Food in Canada and Print Action. Our guest today is Saurabh Hans, president of Hans Dairy, a leading ethnic food company in Ontario as a manufacturer of south asian food products in canada which is a niche segment as well as being of south asian origin herself i'm excited to hear about sarab's experiences as a food pruner in canada hi sarab thanks for joining us today
0: hey how are you thank you very much for the invite i very much appreciate it
1: you're welcome thanks for joining us and i'm doing all i'm doing really well enjoying summer as it is
0: same here, but time flies by so quickly. That's the hard part. It's so like true. it starts and it's over already.
1: I know, that's so true. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about Hans Derry.
0: Um, Hans Dairy is um, now in uh, 26 years of operation. We're a a, a specialized dairy that specializes to the South Asian taste profile. We make uh, yogurt products, um, smoothies. We do fluid milk for um, uh, further processing. We do a rice pudding. We do a butter line. We're um, very much focused on a clean ingredient deck and very authentic products.
1: That's lovely. Now, as, as far as I can recall, the company was started by your parents, right?
0: Yeah, it was my parents. They started it in their sixties. I'm so surprised because I'm like running out of steam now sometimes. And in their sixties, they decided that they were gonna pivot. My dad was an engineer, and my mom was in um, customer service. And they decided, okay, you know what? It's about time we did something for ourselves. And they found that there was this niche or this lack of products offering for ethnic market, and so that's where they were focusing their attention on.
1: Well, that is very inspiring. But why did you decide to join the company, Saurabh, and then head it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when I finished my university, I I told my parents, hey, you've got this business, I'll come work with you. And they were like, nope, go out into the real world, figure out what real work is, figure out what, you know, how to make things happen and then come back. And then when they were around 68 or so, reaching 70, that's when they were like, "Mm, we're tired. We can't do this much longer. So they gave me a call and said, hey, do you want to take over the business? Um, At that time, the business was set up in bricks and mortar, we had the equipment, they had a customer base. And I thought, you know what, if I don't jump in now, I'm never going to have this opportunity again. And I was working in a corporation, investment banking. So I gave my notice, moved back to Toronto, moved in with my parents and started working with them.
1: That's amazing. As you may know very well, building a brand is very important, essential, but also hard and challenging. So how did he go about creating a brand identity that resonates with both traditional values and modern consumers?
0: It was difficult. Uh, when I first joined, um, I was trying to figure out what the market appetite was. And the hard part is that, you know, consumers may demand or may, may be looking for something, but the retailers are the ones that you have to convince that there's a the demand out there. So uh, that was the biggest hiccup is going to them and saying, hey, look, there's a lot of um, people that have a different taste profile and are looking for more authentic products. For them, they were very okay selling what they had. They were not convinced that they needed to pivot and have more of an offering. So what we ended up doing is going to the mom and pop stores. So our all our product launches were at smaller independent locations where they were able to see if there was demand right away. And from there, then we were able to go into the banner stores and to the, the larger big box stores and then have our products there. So it was a slow growth. Um, we had to convince the market that, South Asians were looking for something different.
1: The other thing that I look at, think about when it comes to CPG products is sustainability and ethical sourcing as well. These are very important for consumers. Now, how do you integrate these principles into your manufacturing process and business practices?
0: Uh, In food, when we talk about environmental sustainability, sometimes it can be a little difficult because we're very much a very big usage of water when it comes to cleaning our processes, running our equipment. We're very heavy in that aspect of it. So we look at sustainability in uh, making sure that everything we buy is local. So our philosophy is that 95% of the ingredients, the packaging, the external packaging we procure is all procured from Canadian companies. There is a little bit of a 5% that we can't get here, but we try it our hardest to make sure that we sustain the circular economy here. So in a sense that people who are supporting us in buying our product at the retailers, we're supporting their businesses on the other end by making sure that we buy locally.
1: That's wonderful. Um, Another question that I have for you is that what role does technology play in a company's operations from production to distribution and customer engagement?
0: A big part. We have a longer way to go than we have come, but we've added a lot of stuff. We've added um, an ERP system into our facility, which has allowed us to have a very good um, understanding of what inventory levels we have, where our stuff is going. Traceability is all automated um, in our facility. We've also added some tray packers. We've fully automated the process, but I do still try to keep it fairly simple because. Technology can be cumbersome sometimes in in your ability to maneuver. Sometimes when you are heavy on technology, it doesn't allow you to do small batches. It doesn't allow you to sometimes do little unique things. So we've we've reached a point where we've done enough that's good for us now, but we've decided to hold off so that we still have agility in our process.
1: It's great, Sarah. Thank you so much for explaining a little bit about the business side of Hunts Dairy. Now yeah. I want to, I want to spend some time. I'm getting to know you as a leader and understanding (laughs) your journey a little better. So, and one of the things that I have to ask you is about how, how did you go about establishing yourself as a leader? Because, you know, in family run businesses, the perception is that you're always the owner's daughter, right?
0: Oh, yeah, it's a hard one. You are always the owner's daughter in a lot of people's eyes. Um, The. first thing that i did and my father pretty much forced me to do this and i think it was an excellent thing is that um he was like you have to work from the bottom up so when i moved here and i started working in the dairy i had to take my pasteurizers course i had to go get a graders course and then for a year i ran the full operation of course with assistance and learning and stuff and then in that year i was able to learn A lot of um, manufacturing stuff like um, steam, boilers, um, pneumatics, like things that I needed to have a base knowledge on in order to be able to have an intellectual conversation with somebody and able to have people bid on businesses. So that was number one, for sure. Um, Number two was just ask for help. I think sometimes when we come into a position where we're um, expected to be the leader, we feel that it's yeah, we need to show that we know everything. But when you don't know everything, that is really the wrong way to approach it. So I went around and just sat sat with suppliers and competitors and vendors and just said, look, I know nothing about nothing. Tell me about this aspect. And people were very helpful. And I was surprised at how forthcoming they were with information. And if they were un, unaware of what I was asking about, they referred me to somebody. So in that way, I built my knowledge base and i also built a connection with people in a way that they knew that i was here not to dictate what was going on but to here to build the business from the down up and i think that with that i was able to get a little bit more clout than just being the owner's daughter
1: that's great and that's so true right because if if we are open and able to feel you know show our vulnerable side to other people then people em- would naturally be empathetic and and help us as well so um
0: So much so. much. So I find that um, vulnerability is a strength. I find Mm -hmm. that every time I open up to somebody and say, look, this is what's happening. This is what I'm facing. People are always willing to help. There's very rare times where people will be like, okay, bye. It is such a strength. And then when you open up to them, I think you also built this mentorship relationship because now, you know, they feel vested in you and you're vested in them. So now there's a little bit more um, depth of communication, um, uh, sharing of knowledge. So it really, really is a strength to be vulnerable.
1: Besides being the owner's child, you were also a woman, Saurabh. Um, And I I wonder if your journey was harder because of that. You know, I, I only ask because I know South Asian society is quite patriarchal.
0: For sure. I'm, I don't know how easy it would have been if I was a man. So it's a very hard to gauge. But I do know that the conversations that I had were around, what is going to happen when you have children? Who is going to run your business? So it was almost as if this was a pet project of mine, and I was doing it part time until my, my real life, quote unquote, started, which was family and children and household stuff. So when someone views you in that perspective, they don't take you seriously. They also don't vest in your business. They're not you know, they're not there for the long haul because they feel that you're not there for the long haul. So I think that had an impact hundred percent. And secondly, you know, um we're invited to tables that and those tables sometimes as a female Indian, you're not invited. you're not invited to those social gatherings where business deals happen or those connections are made. So that for sure, has held us back but on the other end maybe it gave us some steam extra steam to say hey we're going to prove everybody wrong so it's very hard to measure if it would have been better if i was a man or a woman
1: (laughs) (laughs) but we're glad wherever you are right now right you gotta go with
0: wherever you are right
1: exactly Uh, you did touch upon some of the biases that you encountered would you like to expand on that or are there any of the biases that you've encountered on your professional journey
0: uh, Numerous. I think numerous. And I think um, whenever you do have a bias, I think you do have to vocalize it. I think uh, sometimes we internalize it and we kind of say, okay, you know what, let me step back. But I think now that I'm a little older, a little more um, seasoned, as they say, in life, I feel that I'm able to say, call people out on things that otherwise I would never have done. And I think that's, you know, what we have to continue to do. Say, why do you feel that way? Why are you thinking that way? And I think we do need women in positions where they can mentor us because we tend to mentor people who we feel comfortable with, we feel a connection with. And when there's men at the levels that are higher up and they don't feel a connection with you, that mentorship doesn't really solidify.
1: What are some of the other challenges that you've encountered as a woman entrepreneur in the food industry and how have you overcome them?
0: Yeah, um, for sure. One of them is employees. You know, I I inherited a company that was predominantly all the employees were men and predominantly South Asian. And having them respond to you in a way that you need them to respond has been a hiccup because sometimes they feel that you're not their boss and they feel disrespected by you if you ask them to do things. And that has been a little bit of a challenge. And I know that with contractors, when they come in and they kind of give me that like, oh, darling, don't worry about it. I have it. I don't hire them again because my job is to worry about it. So if if I'm being placated with that, you know, oh, we got it under control. I don't work with you. So I think that's how you have to pivot is that you have to make sure that you work with people that understand that you're the boss. You know, you're asking them for something. And there's a reason and there's a response that you're requiring them to have. And if they don't feel that they want to give you that response, you need to pivot and find someone else in that position.
1: I love the way how sneaky these unconscious biases just creep in, right? They, they don't even know, but it's, but it's exactly that. It is a bias. That they,
0: it's that so they, entrenched. It's so entrenched. And it's like, if you start to explain this to somebody, they feel that, oh, you're, you are overreacting and that was not their intention. However, I always feel that you have to pay attention to how someone perceives it, not how you mean it. If how you mean it is not being perceived properly, then maybe you need to change your vocabulary. It's a difficult discussion, especially with the the older seasoned uncles that I had that were helping me. (laughs) And they were my dad's contractors. And now they were my uncles. As you know, in the Indian community, everybody's your uncle. And having them respond to me in the way that I needed the information that I needed rather than just say, hey, don't worry, I got it. No, no, you need to give me my information.
1: Now, this is a good segue into my next question, which is about, as a leader, you know, what values and principles do you prioritize in your company culture? And how do you encourage your team to embody these values?
0: For me, the biggest one is caring. I think our culture at The Dairy is we care for each other. We care for the quality of product that we make. We care for our customer. I think if you you spend so much time with your colleagues here that if people that you work with don't care for you, it's very, very difficult for everybody to work. So I know it's a cliche to say that we're a family business and we run like a family, but honestly we do. Everybody here is a part of our family and everybody really, really is vested in making sure that Hans Dairy grows to where it wants to go.
1: Now this brings me to the next question, which is about you know you know labor shortage is so pervasive in the food yeah. manufacturing space. So when we talk about ideas like having an equitable and inclusive and a diverse workforce, which is which is a, the ideal situation that everyone aspires to, but it 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 does become challenging, right? When there's so much shortage of of people to work on or, or employ, how do you balance the two, Sarab?
0: Yeah, um, labor shortage goes up and down. Sometimes it's like, you know, impossibly hard to find people and that's what's been happening with the economic environment and COVID's um, impact on the economy is that it became very, very difficult to attract people into the food industry, to retain people in the food industry. Um, We have um, implemented at our facility um, a referral program and we found so many good people through that. So people that are here that understand what the real work is at the factory, are referring people and those people come and once they join us, there's a bonus that gets to the goes back to the person who referred them. And that's really, really helped us, you know, um, get good people with us and how you, um, diversify your workforce that's a difficult one when like I was saying earlier when I joined it was predominantly well I shouldn't say predominantly it was all men except my mom <laughs> that were working in the business and I tried very hard to get women in, in different communities to come work with us and I found that I'd hire somebody and they would last like maybe a month and they'd leave and I could not figure out what it was and I finally realized I have to hire in pairs. So if I wanted women to come into the manufacturing side and stay, I needed to make sure that I had at least two to three women because otherwise they felt a little isolated, they felt a little n- nobody was engaging with them and so the environment work wasn't as fun as it should be. So that was my when we that when that went off we were like okay, now we figured it out and now we have pretty much 50-50% split in the back for men and women. But it took us getting a uh, uh, you know about three or four people women here to make it stick.
1: Oh, that's amazing and lovely to hear, Sarov. You've been here for a while in the food industry. What advice would you give to aspiring young entrepreneurs who are looking to enter the food industry, especially those who are interested in promoting culturally specific cuisines and products?
0: I think that there's room for everybody. In when I joined the industry, one of my father's friends gave me advice that, you know, don't steal market share, create it. There's room for everybody. So if you have a product that's not available on the market and it's unique and it's different, there's tons of room in this, uh, this country because we're so multicultural. There's so many different uh, diverse appetites out there. Um, it will be a little bit more of an uphill battle. It may take you longer than if you were making something that already existed, but there's room for that.
1: What's been your most memorable project till date, Sarab? So
0: I have to say it, ha- it was the first skew that south asian focus that got launched into the banner stores the big box chains that was my day that we launched in 2008 the most memorable because that's when i was like yes finally we broke in we're in and now we have a launching pad for a lot of other things
1: that's lovely and that's the day that i have in my house in my fridge as well so thanks for that thank you for buying it And that's not the reason why you're here. I just want to make sure the readers understand that too.
0: (laughs) Yes, because I've been asking for this interview for ages.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. Sorry, uh, jokes aside, what's your biggest achievement to date? Besides bringing the dahi into the big banner stores?
0: Building a facility. Biggest achievement. um, About eight years ago, we were busting at the seams at the place that we were and needed to figure out what we wanted to do. We... Contemplated: Do we um, kind of shut up, shut down our production and have somebody else make it, have a co-packer make it for us, or do we jump into a new facility? And it was a difficult decision because it's a lot of money that's going out the door and sometimes you don't know what's going to be coming back in. So I have to say that was the biggest challenge was taking that um, taking that step that leap and buying a facility buying a a piece of land and retrofitting something that suited us but now eight years in it was such a great choice such a great choice to have that space to expand in to own it yourself so you you can make any improvements and not be worried about having to move again
1: that's lovely um And I know that from previous conversation, I've heard that you are almost at capacity in this facility too, isn't that right?
0: Very much so, very much so. Because every time you add on a SKU or you want to launch something into the market, you have to have a lot of packaging and that packaging and storing all that takes up a lot of space. So we are are kind of at that point where we need to decide what we want to do, but because of the economic environment, I'm slightly holding back everything is a little too pricey these days
1: yes for sure you have to be cautious yes okay. on you know on that note of talking about business decisions um i'm sure you've had mentors who have helped you along the way so tell me a little bit more about your mentors and how they support you
0: um mentors were a little harder to find and i and I, it took me i'd say probably about i've been doing this about 18 years it took me probably about 12 years to find good mentors which was wow. really really difficult i um, am part of an organization of women ceos and we meet on a monthly basis and they're from various industries and i, I that has been a very good support group because every month we go in and i can bring issues of i'm having hr related issues i need to pivot here i'm having technology issues and that has been an excellent form for me to get information And I do have also some one-on-one mentors that are within the food industry, within the dairy industry. And they've sat down with me on numerous occasions to help me strategize as to where we want to go, what we want to launch, how we want to move in this industry. And that's been very, very beneficial. And my third source of mentors are the people that are sick of me, which is my family and friends, the ones who are like, can you just shut up about it? They're my third set of mentors because they are the sounding boards. They're the people that I go to and say, would you buy this? And why would you buy it? So they've been very, very useful. So I am one of those people I think that maybe you might get sick of because I talk about dairy a little too much.
1: <laughs> okay. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> um, Saurabh, as a woman in a leadership position, how important do you think it is for women to support other women?
0: important, 100% important. Business is very much on uh, personal relationships and in mentorship, the same thing. People support people that they affiliate with and women need to support women that they affiliate with because that's the only way we're going to pull each other up and that's the only way we're going to make it more of an equal playing field.
1: Now, what advice would you give to company leaders who want to create a more diverse, inclusive and equitable environment?
0: It's your hiring practices, for sure, you know, revisit your hiring practices, where you look for people, um, what are the people that are coming into your facility. I've noticed that when I bring in people that are from different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, they always come with ideas that are outside of the box. You know, sometimes when you have the same minded people working with you, you people don't think outside of the box because, you know, we've all been doing the same thing for the last 10 years. So I think when you look at diversity, it does add value. It adds value to the ideas and the energy in your facility. It adds value to you know, your top line. It adds value to your bottom line. So when you start looking at it like that, it is quite easy to then say, you know what, this is a benefit. Let's focus our HR practices to attract people that are from different backgrounds.
1: That's wonderful. It almost resonates, it resonates with me. Uh recently, I heard Duncan Waddle talk. Oh, he's a former head of C former head of innovation at Disney. I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard. This thing, but he often talks about bringing in naive experts, people who are who are outside the field, who are who are not who are not within the ecosystem. Uh, but then he says it's very important because they add value because they're not within the ecosystem. They can bring in other perspectives, which would be really crucial for the industry and for the company.
0: Very true. Very true. I think, yeah, when people come from the same background or the same educational background, you think a certain way, you know, you're taught a certain way. And mm-hmm. there's so much value in someone coming in and disrupting your thought process. So mm-hmm. much value because then you you realize where your weak points are. You realize where, you know, you need to focus a little more.
1: A final piece of advice, Sarah, from you for young women who are entering the manufacturing space. What would you like to tell them?
0: I would like to tell them that um, jump in. Jump in, you know, there's room for you. If at any point you feel that, you know, like for me, technology and engineering was not my strength, you don't need to know it all. Don't worry. You can have somebody who is your right-hand person who will be the technology person and you can still be the business person or the sales person. So don't be afraid that you don't know everything because nobody ever knows everything, you know, and just jump in. The other piece of advice I'd like to say is, make sure you don't play a supporting role. I think sometimes when women join family businesses or businesses, we tend to sometimes fall into the supporting role. If you're the leader, make sure you're the leader and you're not doing the supporting side of the business. And if there is someone in your organization, be it family, that does not want to see you as a leader and is undermining your authority, you need to have that person you know, pivot out or make sure they understand who's the boss. because you really do not want to be fighting personal battles in your business relationships.
1: Absolutely. So before we sign off, Sarab, could you share your vision for Hans Dairy? Are there any new products or expansions on the horizon?
0: Yeah, there are, there's quite a lot that we've been working on. We just kind of slowed down a little bit because of the economic environment and things that were happening on the the banner store side, but we have, um, we're developing a, a Buffalo yogurt line. So there'll be something that will be coming out. We're developing um, a flavored whipped butter line that will be more of the the spreads for your your bagels and things like that. And then we're also looking at um, developing a Middle Eastern line. We're trying to still keep it very niche, meaning that we want to cater to different communities with different taste profiles and try to still make products that suit what they're looking for you know, and make it in the ways that they're looking for. So look forward to seeing our Middle Eastern line. We're trying to collaborate with a few other dairies and come up with one that has an inclusivity of all different types of products.
1: Oh, that's lovely. I can't wait to try them out. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today and sharing your experiences. It was wonderful to have you on this podcast.
0: Thank you very much for the invite. I really, really appreciate it. And I love talking to you. Thanks.